Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. Well, we're kicking off this brand new series, If You Knew What Was Good For You. And over the next four weeks, we are going to tackle this idea of how we don't always know what it is that's really good for us. We think we know, but oftentimes later on we find out that it wasn't. We think we know what we really want, but listen, if we really knew what was good for us, what God has in store for us, those things that we think we want may not be what we truly want after all. But we can't always figure it out, can we? And so we're going to be asking a question that you and I tend to ask other people a lot, but seldom do we ask ourselves this question. Have you ever held a a crying baby and you just didn't know what to do? I know you guys have, okay? And Opie and Tuesday, get ready because you're about to go through this. But I remember when Maddox was little, he was a tough cookie to get to sleep sometimes. And I had ended up having to sit down, put him face down in my lap with his head between my knees and do calf raises rapidly back and forth, shaking him up and down, uh, kind of rocking him until he would fall asleep. And then I read this book called Baby Wise. It told me what a stupid idiot I was, how I was unwise, and how he was playing me, and that if I would just put him in the crib and let him cry himself to sleep, in a day or two, he would go right to sleep. And guess what? It worked. He was right. But before I read that book, he would cry and cry and cry. And I fed him. I changed his diaper. He'd taken a nap that day, and he is still screaming at the top of his lungs. And so I would look at him, and I'd say, buddy, what do you want? What do you want? And a two-month-old never answers that question. And we just keep negotiating with them, don't we? Like they're going to answer. What do you want? Please, just tell me. What do you want? Well, we now have four English bulldogs at our house. And uh, it seems like every time I get up to teach a series, we've added one. So next time we may have five. But we've got four English bulldogs at our house. Take a look here. There's Matilda and... Yeah, Matilda and Mac and Fiona and who am I leaving out? Tank. Tank's my my new man, right? The little one there. So um, the one in the back there, Matilda, she is the best behaved of the four by far, okay? Now, her only downside is that occasionally when I'm watching a game, I'll be watching the Kentucky game or the Dodger game or Raider game, something like that, And she will come up to my chair while I'm watching the game and just start growling at me underneath her breath. She's just like, over and over again. It drives me crazy. And I don't know if you can hear it too good on this video clip, but take a look here. drives me crazy. I hate it. I'm telling you, it bugs me to death. I hate it because I just want to watch the game. And it's, uh, uh. only me, nobody else in the whole family will she do that to. But anyway, uh, I can't stand it. And the truth is I've already let her outside. She's been fed. She doesn't want up in my lap. She just stares at me and growls. And uh, it's annoying because I have no idea what it means. And so I'll look at her and I'll say, what do you want? What do you want? 
and I find myself negotiating with a dog, right? <laughs> Just tell me what you want. Do you want to go back outside, or what's the deal? Well, the thing about that question is that we ask it to other people. We ask it to our kids. We ask it to animals, for crying out loud. We seldom, if ever, ask it of ourselves. And so can I just ask you a question this morning to get this started off? What do you want? What do you want? What is it that you really want? And so I'm going to give you some examples, and I just want you to raise your hand in the air if this is something you want. Ready? Participate here a little bit. How many of you want a new car? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying. I know you are. You would, okay, good. How many of you want a new house? Okay. How many of you want a vacation? All right. How many of you want a new spouse? Don't answer that. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Don't answer that, okay? Gosh, some of your hands went up quicker than I can get it out of my mouth. Many people want those things, but listen, what if I asked you if you wanted a tricycle or a G.I. Joe action figure or a prom date? Now, not many of you would respond to that because as we get older, uh, those things change. We want different things, don't we? Not many of you would respond to that. The idea of wanting something is kind of like a moving target, isn't it? It's just different. When we're young, there's lots of things we want. That's why our Christmas list when we're kids are pages long, right? When we get older, the answer's kind of like, ah, I don't know, just underwear and socks again, I guess. I don't know, right? <laughs> but when you're a kid, man, it's, it's, it's out there. So, and because the answer to that question is like a moving target, we need to spend some time talking about it and looking at it from God's perspective. But first, we need to figure out what it is that we really want. So let's just begin with a few observations about what it is that we want. We might not know exactly what it is that we want, but I guarantee you these four observations of true, are true of you and true of me. The first one's this. We want it our way, don't we? We want it our way. Burger King told us this. See that? Have it your way. Remember that? Yeah. We could get our burger our way. A Whopper with cheese, no onion. That's what I like. Just the way I like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> Is that the commercial? Sorry about that. I didn't mean for that to come out. Well, listen. When it comes to life, we want it our way as well. For, for those of us who have kids, there have been times when we have told them how to do something. And then they did the exact opposite just because they wanted to do it their way. But us, adults, we never do that, do we? Wrong. Adults do it too. Because listen, we think our way is the what? Is the best way, right? We think our way is the best way. Um, at school, I will tell my students and I tell my kids this at home. If you do it right the first time, Thank you, Abby. You are so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it right the first time, you won't have to do it a second time. Now, listen, what that means is, is if they do it my way the first time, right, Abby? Or at school up to my standards, then they won't have to do it again. Because we're all creatures of habit, and we want things our way. But here's the problem with that. 
When we always want things our way, oftentimes that gets in the way of our happiness without us even realizing initially at first. It does. We don't even know it happens. All of us have a story of a time we wanted our way. And so we manipulated and we guilted and we fought and we argued over a situation to get our way. And then when we got our way, we didn't like it. And we regretted that decision. But the first thing most of us think about when asked, what do you want, is, well, I like it my way, right? Another observation is this. Another thing we want is kind of like a distant relative, a cousin to wanting it our way. And that's we want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do. Whether you're a church person or not, this is probably true of you. I'm sure that none of you, when I asked you what you wanted, thought, I just want whatever you want. Right? Now listen, let's be real. I know that you tell your spouse that, okay? But come on, nobody really believes that. The truth is that we want what they want as long as it's what we want too, right? Let's be real. If you ask after church, hey, what are you in tea? I don't care. Baloney. They care. Okay? Oh, you want baloney? I don't like baloney. Okay? Anyway, sorry. But you get the point, right? As long as we want it too, we're good. But nobody says, I just want whatever you want and means it hardly ever. Well, the problem with that is what lies underneath that way of thinking is a fear. And the fear is that you and I will be miserable if we don't get our way. That's what we think down deep. That if we don't get our way, we're going to be miserable. And the problem with that is that if we always just do what we want to do, listen, then we may not end up where we want to be in life. Sometimes I'll ask my kids to do something. And they will respond, not not often, but occasionally, like with church camp last summer, before they actually went and had a great time and loved it. But before they knew what church camp was like, you know, they had, do we have to? Do I have to? And I used to respond by saying, yeah, you have to. I'm the boss, big dog. How about that, right? (laughs) But I've learned as I got older that I take a different approach. And now I say this, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything, but there are consequences to your disobedience if you don't. Isn't that the way we roll now? Out in the real world, listen, nobody can make you do anything, but they can keep you from doing certain things, right? It's called prison, okay? They can keep you from doing certain things. People can't force us to do anything, but they can take away our freedom, our choices, and keep us from doing certain things. And the point is this. The point is that there comes a time when we have to realize if all we want is our way, that limits our options of what happiness and contentment could look like, could be like in our lives. So what do we want? Well, we typically want it our way, and we typically want to do what we want to do. Third observation is this. We want constant pleasure, don't we? We want constant pleasure. It's that everything in our lives is geared towards how we make things more comfortable for ourselves and how we keep it that way. Pleasure comes in a lot of different forms, whether it's a vacation or whether it's traveling or whether it's entertainment or for some people, it's even abusing an illegal drug. 
And we think that if we could only be filled with pleasure 24-7, then we would have everything that we want. But the problem is, is that what begins as a good thing can quickly turn into a bad thing before we ever realize it. Uh, constant pleasure of any kind, legal or illegal, can become addictive. And listen, pleasure that is addictive ultimately robs itself of the pleasure it begins with, doesn't it? Right? I mean, we can get so much of a good thing, even a good legal thing, that even a good thing can lose its pleasure, and we may start out by, it, by us controlling it, but eventually over time, it can begin to control us. And so millions of people live in this self-isolated prison that they put themselves into because they constantly pursued pleasure. Fourth observation. We may not know exactly what we want, but I can tell you whatever it is that we want it now, don't we? We want it now. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all and I want it now, right? The Queen song we listen to. We don't want to wait for anything. We will put something in the microwave for one minute. One minute, guys. And what do we do? Rapidly tap our fingers on the counter, just waiting for it to get done, right? We want stuff to happen instantaneously because we believe that deep down, now is better than when, than later. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that is, have you ever had an experience where you got it now and then later on, you wish you wouldn't have? I think all of us in the room would say, yeah, that's happened to me. You ever been to Paula Dean's Family Kitchen Restaurant in Pigeon Forge? How many of you have been there to eat? Just a few of us. Okay, well, anyway, down in Pigeon Forge, Paula Dean's got this country restaurant. And my family and I have been a couple of times. Uh, we went once with the kids, and Heather and I were on some kind of weird diet where you only eat like once a month like a snake. And uh, so we didn't eat a whole lot then. We just kind of picked around at it. But a second time we went, and it was just she and I. And oh, my goodness, we did damage Okay, we did damage. I mean, it is a lot of food. We started off with these cheddar biscuits, and I could have quit after that. But I was just licking my fingers after they were gone. They'll bring you as much as you want. It's gluttony on steroids, man. We, we ate those cheddar biscuits, and then you get two main courses, like fried chicken or meatloaf. Or, I better stop talking about food. You're going to want to get out of here. But it's, it's a big old main, two main courses, and then four sides on top of that. And then a dessert on top of that. And we began eating. I'm not kidding. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen that National Lampoon's European vacation where the daughter Audrey keeps eating and it, she just pops, you know, she's in a dream. Well, that's what I felt like. We began eating and it didn't feel like we stopped eating for 30 minutes. I mean, that's what it felt like. And by the time we wrapped it up and threw in the towel, that's, that's my white napkin of surrender, okay? I was fuller, you know, around here in Kentucky, we say, you heard this saying, fuller than a tick, sucking on a dog with high blood pressure. You ever heard that? Okay, well, that's what I was feeling like. So full, we could barely walk back to the car. Remember that? We didn't walk back. We waddled back to the car. It was like pure just Crisco running through my veins. And I felt awful. I felt miserable. I felt like I was going to explode. How many of you ever ate so much you felt like that? Just to be real. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. And I said then what some of you have said, I will never eat again. I won't eat again. I am done. I'm miserable because I wanted it now, but I regretted it later on. 
Well, we all have a story. We all have a story of something we wanted now, we got it, and then wished we wouldn't have later on. I mean, don't, don't high school reunions tell us this, right? I mean, I don't go to them because mine have not been too family-friendly. Uh, but you see the pictures and, and you think, man, those people really changed, you know? Not me, but those people have really changed. The once heroes or zeros, you know, and everybody's bald and old and overweight. And that's just the women for crying out loud. The men are worse. You know, it's awful. So, uh, but you remember how back in high school you were going to ask that certain person out on a date or maybe to the movies or to the prom. And now you begin to think what that great theologian Garth Brooks once saying. That some of God's greatest gifts, right, are unanswered prayers. No doubt about it. But it's in those moments that you realize that what you wanted then, you are so thankful and glad that you don't have now. What we want now is not always what we will want later on, right? So here's the problem with everything we've talked about so far. Isn't it true that we can all say about ourselves, my greatest regret used to be my greatest want? Can't we all say that? My greatest regret used to be my greatest want. If we were to go back in time before that regret, once upon a time, it was our greatest want. Because this is the cycle. It begins with, I want it, and then I get it. Then I don't really want it anymore, and then I wish I never had it. And that could be buyer's remorse, that could be dating remorse, that could be a business decision, but it began with the idea that we thought we really wanted it. In fact, listen, regret is really just getting what we wanted and then realizing we didn't really know what was good for us. Isn't that what regret is? So what is it that you want, guys? Because the truth is most of us don't even know. Well, fortunately, the brother of Jesus, a guy named James, he writes about this topic. And one of the greatest things that proves that Jesus is who he said he was was that his own brother believed it. That's crazy, right? I mean, if I tried to, to convince my siblings that I was God with skin on, that ain't happening. There ain't no way they're believing that I'm God with skin on, right? But Jesus' own brother believed it. And so James, who was Jesus, actually Jesus' half-brother, he writes this letter to a church, to Christians, simply telling them that here's how we now live. Here's what we're supposed to do in times of trial. Here's what we do in times of joy, um, how we deal with each other. It's just this power-packed book that's divided up into five chapters that you can probably read in about 20 minutes or so. But in this book, he actually deals with this problem of not knowing what we want. Let's look at it briefly. The first verse, James says this in chapter 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Now, if, if I were to ask you what causes the most difficulty in your life, I would say that about 90% of us would say somebody's name. Right? I'll tell you what it is. It's all her fault. It's his fault. That's whose fault it is. If they just wouldn't do such and such, it's always everybody else's fault, isn't it? James has a different answer. Let's keep reading. He says, don't they come from the evil desires, listen, at war 
within you? He's saying that we've all got this war of wants going on the inside of us, and then we impose that on other people, like they're supposed to behave the way we would behave, and they're supposed to do what we would do. And if it were me, I would have responded by now. And I would have liked that pic. And I would have shown up at the family event. And they didn't. And so this battle inside of us spills out onto other people. He says that the source of all of our relational tension is that we wanted something and it didn't happen. And they didn't do it. And that's why we are so bitter and angry. In fact, you know, one of the best relational habits that you and I can implement in our lives is we should learn to picture ourselves in an argument with somebody that we normally like, but that we argue with occasionally. Maybe it's your spouse. You begin arguing, and a few minutes into it, you don't even know what it is you're really arguing about anymore, right? But you want to win. And so you give that verbal jab, you drop the mic, you walk away, you slam the door, you stop texting for a day or so. But what if, what if in the middle of that heated discussion, you just called a timeout? You stopped and you said, you know what the problem is right now? The problem is that I'm just not getting my way. I'm just not getting my way. I need a moment because I don't even know what it is that I'm I'm really arguing about right now. You see, most of us start out in a disagreement, but then it turns into I just want to be right. When what usually causes the fights and quarrels among us, it's more like an iceberg. It's like this pic here, right? We're focused on the top, but what's really going on is something beneath the surface. And it's something that most of us have not even identified yet, much less dealt with. We don't even know it's there because we just see the surface, the issue at hand. And so let's practice this, okay? Let's practice this. This means timeout. Everybody do this, okay? It means technical foul, too, in basketball, but we're going to use timeout. This is timeout. Now, in basketball terms, you can get a full timeout. That's 60 seconds. Or you can get a 30-second timeout. 30 seconds, right? So you can get timeout full, timeout 30. Got it? All right. So that's your options when you're at home and this breaks out. But either one you choose. Listen, the next time you're in a heated disagreement, You just call a timeout. You need 30, full, whatever. Just call a timeout and say this. Do you know what the problem is? The problem is that I'm not getting what I want. So just give me a minute. Let me figure out what it is that I really want. Try it. Try it. Most of the time, guys, when people do this, they end up discovering that they want the same things. They want the same things, but a disagreement or a misunderstanding got everything out of alignment. And then the battle, James says, the war began to rage within us. And then he goes on. Look at verse 2. He says, you, you want what you don't have. And so you scheme and kill to get it. And you may be sitting there thinking, okay, JB Preacher, time out, okay? That's a little far-fetched. I haven't gone there yet, you know? But here's what he's saying. He's saying you desire, you've got all these wants inside of you, and then you go to extremes. This doesn't actually mean murder, but that we get into the cycle of I want it, I've got to have it, and then I regret it. We get into that and just continue to work that person and work that person and work that person until, listen, we kill the relationship. 
We provoke our kids repeatedly, and they eventually run from us. We, we want to end, uh, win that argument so bad that we win the battle but lose the war, the relationship that we've been working so hard for. James says we pursue it, we, we chase it, and then we kill the relationship. And if we don't understand what's behind the question, what do you want? There is enormous potential for us to destroy the relationships in our path because they will, listen, never be able to give us what it is we want because, guys, we don't even know what it is we want. Look at verse 2 again. He says, you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. And so we covet. We're in hot pursuit to win the argument. We just want to win and get what we want. And then when we don't, we blame everybody else. And so we quarrel and fight and argue. And you tell your spouse, you know what? We'd be happily married if it weren't for your family and all this baggage that you brought into our relationship. If it wasn't for the government, if it wasn't for the president, if it wasn't for our neighbors, and we can blame everybody, but the battle lies within. And so to sum it up, he's saying, for some of you, you're not getting what you want, and it's a problem. It's a problem. Or maybe you are getting what you want, and it's not enough. But sometimes we don't even know what's good for us, because if you just knew what was good for you, Listen, many of us are distracted by what we think is good for us, what we want, and what really is good for us, what we truly, really want down deep. And the reason nobody talks about what we really, truly want down deep is because it's not a quick fix. It's not instant gratification. There's no immediate satisfaction. It doesn't sell. And so in order to figure out what it is that we really want down deep, we've got to dig deep. We've got to dig down deeper. And guys, the reason that this is so important is because this leads us, you and I, to a place that we seldom go. We stay above the surface, just like the iceberg picture, and we only deal with our desires and our appetites and our wants and what feels good. But listen, when we get below the surface is where we begin to figure out something deeper than what we want. And you know what that is? It's what we value, what we truly value. And listen, oftentimes what we want is in conflict with what we value. Please don't miss that. Please don't let that go through one ear and out the other. Oftentimes what we want is in conflict with what we value, what we really want, if we just knew what was good for us. So here's what we're going to be learning over the next three weeks. We're going to figure out what it is that you and I truly value. What we want in hindsight after we learned from the regret. What, what is truly good for us. And we're going to learn how to make that happen. That there's so much more satisfaction when you and I dig deep down beneath the surface and get to the real issues. And so James tells us, continuing in verse 2, he says this. Yet you don't have what you want. Why not? Because you don't ask God for it. You say, well, there's the problem, right? We don't want to ask God because we know what he's going to say. No, 
That's how some of us think, right? Or I did ask God, and it never happened. He continues on in verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it. Why not? Because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You asked for a prom date. But what you should have asked for was lasting love because that's what you really want. You asked for some expensive gift. But what you really wanted was a great Christmas with your family, right? We don't even know what to ask because we're so consumed above the surface with what we want. And James says that the reason God's not going to give us what we want is because God wants more for you. He wants more for me than even we want for ourselves. We don't really know what's good for us. We are lost in all the superficial. God wants us to have substance. And maybe it shocks you this morning just sitting there hearing that God wants something for you. Because you've always believed that God wanted something from you. Jesus said that he came to give us life abundantly which means to the full, to give us more than we could ever imagine. Not not shallow desires. It's what we need, which is really what we want down deep. It's what we value that can truly change your life, truly change my life. And, And the point is that we'll never really get what we want until we discover that it's something more. And that's what we truly value. I'll shut up after this story, but think about it like this. A 12-year-old boy is growing up in a broken home. And he goes back and forth between mom and dad. He loves both of his parents very, very deeply, but he seldom sees his dad because dad's always on the road traveling. And he wants a new set of golf clubs for his birthday. So he asks his dad for a set of golf clubs, thinking how great it's going to be for, you know, he and his dad to go to the course and play golf together. And his dad gets the clubs for him. He drops them off at his house, and and then he leaves again on a business trip. Now, did he get what he wanted? Yeah. He got the golf clubs, right? But listen, what he really wanted was to play golf with and to spend time with his dad, right? That's what he really wanted. If we knew what was good for us. So let's be careful what we want for. What is it beneath the surface that we really, really want? That's where we're going in this series because that's exactly what God wants for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would figure this thing out. Father, some of us walked into the room this morning and we want a bunch of stuff. But the truth is, we really don't even know what's good for us. So over these next few weeks, God, would you teach us that? Would you just show us what it is down deep that we truly value, what we truly need? And then God, once you expose that to every person in this room, would you help us to chase after those things? to chase after what's really important and quit chasing after the superficial things that don't matter? Would you just teach us what's good for us and help us to run after you with all of our hearts? That's my prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.